Welcome to The Francisca Show. I'm Francisca, your host, and this is a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Enjoy! Hey, so I just want to jump in and say that in this episode, I go all personal. I talk about a lot of the issues I, as an Orthodox woman, have when it comes to eating and religion. Because if you are an Orthodox Jew, you are probably aware of not eating before Kiddush, not drinking between Shkia and Havdalah on Shabbos slash Motzei Shabbos. You are also aware of fast days, milchiks and fleshiks, the anxiety of washing uh, because you'll have to bench. But there's a lot of anxiety surrounded and then forget about Hechsherim. And then think about people who want to incorporate healthy eating or you're managing other people's meals, for example, kids, spouses, and potentially meal trains. Don't even get me started on meal trains. I did one today, actually. So this episode is just bring it down to the basics. This is something that affects me on a daily level, and I do associate a lot of my eating habits to be more complicated because I'm an observant Jew. So I don't know if you relate to this. If you do, let me know. Please reach out and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Francisca Show podcast. Today is a very exciting episode because we have a fellow Jewish coffeehouse podcaster on, and this is just such an honor. Today we have Jill Sharfman, nutrition consultant, and obviously the co-host of the nutrition podcast called Let My People Eat. Uh, Today our episode is going to touch upon topics that are directly influenced and related to eating and the Jewish community, specifically when it comes to women uh, living in the 21st century. (laughs) I'm excited to do this episode with you because you understand nutrition and balance, and then you understand the world of Shabbos is every week, and women have babies sometimes every other year. And how, how do you find balance in potentially a very unbalanced lifestyle that involves food in every step of the way, a part of religion, a part of family, a part of culture. And um, yeah, so we'll just dive in. I would love to start. Jill, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and a little bit about your podcast. Okay, great. Thanks uh, for having me, Francisca. It's so strange being on this side of the microphone for a change. But um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. My background is I grew up very traditional modern Orthodox uh, until my family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when I was about nine or 10 years old, and they were looking for a school to put me in. And they weren't very happy with the the school situation so much so that we were going to move back to New York. And somebody said to them, well, you know, there's this Hasidic Lubavitch school that you should look at. And my parents like, we're not Lubavitch, we're not Hasidic, we're moving back to New York. And what happened was, of course, they did go to look at the school. My father 
you know, is an attorney. He had a job working at Westinghouse and um, they weren't ready to pick up and move back to New York quite yet. And, uh, you know, of course they came in and the Lubavitch Chabad community was so warm and welcoming and, you know, fast forward to the end, uh, not the end, but fast forward. <laughs> my father wears a kapata, he has a beard. My mother wears a shaitel. Um, I'm the oldest of four and all my younger siblings are uh, very entrenched in the Lubavitch community. I am maybe what you would consider a friend of. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my husband and I keep a mostly non-Orthodox lifestyle, um, but we can move very easily between all the different worlds that are out there. So um, in terms of my nutrition background is I had been working in advertising and marketing for a very long time. I worked for one of the largest ad agencies in the world. I worked on CoverGirl, Pantene, Warner Brothers. And uh, at some point I decided to stay home with my children and I'm very fortunate that I had the ability to make that decision and, and be a full-time mom. But at some point I was like, hmm, okay, the kids get older, they move out of the house, they, they start do. their own they lives. Do. One day it will happen for yes, me. Yes, <laughs> they do. You have quite a while, but I mean, they still need you. <laughs> but what is what is my gonna my life gonna look like once my job as full time mom is no longer needed? So that's when I started to say, okay, what am I gonna do? What's the next step for me? And um, I started exploring things and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And somebody said to me, what are you passionate about? I said, I don't know. You know, I, I like a lot of different things. And she said, let me rephrase that question. What do you spend your free time doing? And I said, well, I love being in the kitchen. I love entertaining. I love reading nutrition journals. I love trying to create healthy meals. She said, well, if that's what you're spending your free time doing, then that's where your passion lies. And that's what you should explore. And that's what led me into going back to school. I went for four years. I um, became a nutritionist. I became board certified. And then I was like, okay, now what? Because most nutritionists do one-on-one -on -one counseling. And I felt my strength was more in the mass market, in the educational market, rather than the one-on-one -on -one consulting. How and, did you know um, that? Or why is that? Why is that? Um, I knew that. Great question. I knew that because um, we had to do case studies for school. And so we would practice and we would meet with clients. And I found that a lot of nutrition consulting is therapy. And you need to have that, you know, I, I take my hat off to, to the people who are those really good therapists, because when somebody says they don't want to eat this way or do this or exercise or whatever, it's, it's really, you have to get into the psychological part of it as well. So um, I was like, okay, I went back to school. I spent time. I spent money. I'm board certified. Now what? And I was sitting with Dr. Moskowitz at Scholl. And we were with a, um, she's my co-host, and we were with a bunch of women around the table. And they're like, oh, I'm trying to diet because I have a wedding coming up or I'm not sleeping. And I realized that Andrew and I were answering questions. And all of a sudden I had this epiphany, and this was three years ago. So in podcast time, that is like hundreds of years. <laughs> um, I had an epiphany that Andrew and I should go ahead and do a podcast to help 
mostly from women moms navigate how to live a healthy lifestyle while keeping kosher. And we that's what we set out to do. We have over 100 episodes right now. They're all in Jewish coffee house um, to just try and demystify, you know, is keto the right thing? Do I do intermittent fasting? You know, like there's just so much information is being thrown at us on a consistent basis. It's hard to wade through it and make sense. So either some somebody will go to a very specific fad diet, it may or may not work, they may or may not be able to maintain it, or they just throw their hands up and go, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, so I'm not going to do any of it. Okay, and where were you sitting in Chul? Where do you live? Oh, so I live in Los Angeles <clears throat> in Hancock Park. Um, we go to a, uh, it's called Rabbi Ruben Shul, it's Chaim, it's a vision, it's stable, um, very Hasidic. Um, and we were sitting upstairs because the women sit <laughs> separately than the men. And it was just, you know, a table upstairs. Uh, we were sitting around after Shul and just, just chatting. Okay, so I know it's unfair. I totally understand the position you're in where you have an entire podcast, over 100 episodes. You can talk about this for hours, and I'm putting you on the spot to solve or at least touch upon most of the issues that are bothering me today in just one episode. So <laughs> we'll try to at least engage in some of the conversations here. Um, for me personally, food has always been a super exhausting challenge. Let's just put it that way. I remember as a kid, my mother would get me these special, they're called pirashki, but it's basically potatoes inside this dough or or meat, ground meat or mushrooms. And I would have them in the freezer. All my other siblings knew not to touch that because I would just pop them in the microwave and have them when I was hungry. I would eat chocolate bars instead of lunch, even though we had proper lunch served at school with a soup and then a meal. But I considered it disgusting. I was too cool to eat school lunch. And then seminary, which I went to at 15, and I'm trying to figure out how to feed myself dinner because Michala's whole philosophy behind food is we feed you lunch, like college, and then you figure out dinner for yourself. I went to Michala too by the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Did I end up learning these skills they wanted me to learn? Probably not. Maybe years after getting married, I started understanding that I have to make my way into the kitchen at least once a day. But I'll paint another <laughs> scenario. We were married and living in Atlanta and one meal, Shabbos meal, I would get takeout from a cafe and have like a cheese sandwich for my Friday night meal. And my husband made himself a steak on the grill. And that was his Friday night meal. And we literally sat at one table eating milchaks and fleshaks. And years we'd go out to eat for Shabbos meals just because, you know, just because I got married doesn't mean I know how to bala bust around <laughs> and host, which now, thank God, able to host a meal. But that's something I probably... And my sisters did much better. But that's one of the things I've struggled with, just feeding myself. You know, I could do most things for myself. I'm a grown adult. I'm 28. Feeding myself is one of the things I still wake up every day. I cannot believe I have to decide again what to eat. This is so hard. I did go to therapy for this. And I'm coming into this discussion just 
acknowledging that I have been struggling with this for a very long time. I seem to figure things out that work for a couple months and then I feel like I'm at square one. But my main questions for today are, for somebody who consumes pop culture and pop science and I engage in social media as as a podcaster, influencer, coach, we have all these messages ingrained. And let's say I'm doing so well right, between babies, exercising, and eating. Every week, I have to deal with Shabbos. I have to deal with a four-hour sit-down-at-the-table with people and just food in my face. But once and sometimes two meals per Shabbos, that's why I prefer not hosting Friday night and being home. So Friday night, at least I'm not overeating. And then not we're not even mentioning Pesach and Sukkot, where you have the late-night eating, several days in a row, and then you have the fast days, which is like extreme in one direction, extreme in another direction. So what do you have to say to someone like me? So I I have a lot to say. First of all, I want to tell you, you are not alone. Everybody goes through these struggles. Um, It is very hard to put dinner on the table every single night. Um, the, The people who are organized, make shopping lists and really plan ahead are definitely at an advantage here. Um, so I, I just, first of all, want to say anybody who feels the way Francesca does, you are not alone. And, and I'm glad we're talking about it because I feel like, especially in the age of social media, people are posting these beautiful tablescapes and look what I made and look what I cooked today. And it can it make you feel inferior and that you're not stepping up and you're not doing your job, but you have no idea what the rest of their house looks like, what else is going on. When I was talking about social media, though, I was talking about people looking like they're size two and that being in your face. Not, I, I'm not so bothered by pictures of food. Right. Okay. But, you know, there are people out there who are who feel that there's the impossible ideals and standards and look at what this person's cooking for Shabbos. Why am I eating grilled cheese for a Friday night dinner? You know, so there is that, too. And again, the people who look like size two, um, we don't know what they're really doing to get there. We know that there's not a lot of transparency, not a lot of truth on social media, um, and they could be engaging in very unhealthy behaviors in order to put forth the image that they are. I'm not saying everybody is, but um, that is the side of social media that's a little bit more dark. So um, to answer your question, I mean, there are a lot of questions there. (laughs) I think... The first one that we should talk about is, you know, the Shabbat, what I call the Shabbos challenge. Um, I did a survey a few years ago with moms, and one of the biggest issues that came up was that they could be so-called, were good during the week and stick to their plan. And then Shabbos comes and everything just falls apart. So what we have to remember is Shabbos, it's not a day of rest from healthy eating. Okay, Shabbos is not permission for us to just go all in. We might feel that way, but we have to kind of be a little bit more mindful about how we approach Shabbos and how we approach entertaining on Shabbos. And look, we have Friday night dinner. We have Kiddush and Shul. We have Shabbos lunch. We have Shal Shudis at this time of year. And then people go up for pizza. Okay, that cannot continue. (laughs) It's dangerous. 
to our community. I mean, obesity has risen across the board and definitely has impacted our community as well. So um, we need to be very conscious of the situation we're in and not let ourselves just go along with it. So the number one thing I tell people is plan ahead on what you are going to indulge in. Okay. If you want the cake, if you want the challah, go ahead, enjoy it. Enjoy it maybe for one meal. I have people who I know who are very successful on Shabbos. They do what they call again, a cheat meal. I know some people will have issues with that language, but they allow themselves Friday night dinner. They can eat whatever they want as much as they want. And they'll, they'll think things that they are not indulging in during the week. Maybe they'll save for Friday night. That seems to work really well for a lot of people. And believe it or not, psychologically, it's very hard to give yourself permission. The first few times people do it, they're like, oh, but I can't eat a second piece of challah. Oh, but I can't eat a second piece of challah. Like there's, you know, that, that allowing yourself to just be present in that meal and not think about food. Um, the other thing that I would say is that keep your traditional food, keep your pierogies, you know, like if that's what you love, then have that. Maybe there's a different approach to, you know, I don't have a problem with potatoes or meat filling, you know, maybe do, do you fry your pierogi? Well, now I, I haven't eaten them in many years. <laughs> okay, but you probably miss them, right? Well, only the ones that my friend's mother used to make. <laughs> right. So maybe is, you know, is there a different way or healthier oil that you can cook something in? Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't eat chillant. You can eat chillant. Beans, potatoes, good quality meat. There's nothing wrong with eating chillant. You know, it's not on the, the no good list. Um, something else I tell people is we don't need four different dips. We don't need three different kugels. We don't need meat and chicken and two cakes and cookies. And, you know, when people entertain, and I used to do this as well, we used to go overboard, right? We wanted to give our guests as much of an experience as possible. Um, now I have definitely um, limited the variety. I don't think anybody gets up from my table hungry, <laughs> but I will plate food. So, you know, main course could be, um, you know, maybe mushroom mashed potatoes, a nice piece of meat and some roasted vegetables. And that's, you know, the main course. And then for, for dessert, we'll have fruit or sorbet and I'll have a pie. But there isn't this, oh my God, I have to cook 20 different things to impress my guests. So definitely keeping that in mind. Um, obviously things like drinking more water over the weekend, making sure you get enough sleep, all those things that contribute to overeating, um, filling up on fruits and vegetables, start with a salad. You know, that's just a good way to start and you'll feel better. So let's say Shabbos lunch, I might have a piece of fish to start. This is just when it's us. A piece of fish, we'll do salad, we'll do chillant, dessert, and we're done. And <laughs> that is it. So it's kind of like, bringing ourselves back to, yes, we want to eat good food on Shabbos, but we don't need to go overboard um, using smaller plates. Also, you know, I know people have their candy closets for their kids or their candy drawers and, you know, but you want to have Shabbos candy or Shabbos cereal, that's fine. 
That's a treat. But what happens on Monday when you still have a drawer full of candy and all these sugared cereals in your house? So just, just be mindful of that as well. And um, let's stick to uh, non-sugary beverages on the table. You know, let's do water and seltzer. Um, or if you're going to do a juice, cut it down with water. Um, because there's there's really drinking soda. Again, if you want to have it as a treat on Shabbos, that's fine. But think about, do you really need, especially now there's so many good like seltzers with fruit juice that are out there that like make you feel like you're having soda. Um, so those are just a couple of my tips to like help you know, get through Shabbos, changing our mindset, being mindful about when we wash, when we sit down, when we make a bracha, that we're here to enjoy our food, but there's no reason to overeat. There's no mitzvah to overeat on Shabbos. That's golden. Okay. So I don't feel so bad about myself. I'd like to share some of the things we do and maybe even add a little bit to what you said. So number one, the community I live in, Thank God or not, thank God, there's no option for pizza on Mosey Shabbos. So that's that. Number two, I threw out the first course. I'm not a lover of gefilte fish, so I did not like having to sit and wait and eat challah or just wait until the actual main course. I also like knowing all the options of food before I choose to eat an appetizer and then get full on that and not have room in my belly for anything else. But let me say something. I just want to say like Friday night, if I have my appetizer, like we had tuna steaks this week and then we had chicken soup. I was full and I didn't eat the main course. I served it to my husband. My, my daughter was there, you know, but that's, you know, you can also, as you're in the meal, kind of adjust as well and say, you know what, having the, the fish and the soup and, you know, a little bit of challah, I'm good. As a guest, I guess I don't like not knowing, like making decisions without knowing what's coming next. So I like to take that out. Another thing, less options, starting with a salad a few times, last few times we ate out for lunch, we would come home after shul and have salad before we'd go to our host. Because it takes a while to sit down and it could be, you know, one o'clock by the time we start. And if you haven't eaten anything at all or since eight o'clock, then I might be making worse decisions out of hunger than if I'd have a salad before. What else do we have? So the one course meals, less options, and drinking, staying hydrated. Love that. Right. Yeah. And sleep. So yeah, those are, you know, it's not easy because we are constantly, like you said, Yantiv comes and then we're eating, all we're doing is eating and sleeping and going to shul. And, uh, and, and I, I feel we, when we, on our Pesach episode, we talk about how the night of the Seder, the women get there and they can't even enjoy it because they've been cleaning and cooking for weeks already and they're falling asleep at the table. So, you know, yes, we want to have a beautiful meal. We want to have a beautiful Seder, but you have to balance that with, you know, how much food do you really need that night, right, when you're eating so late? Right. Okay. So now intellectual ideas set aside, let's talk about the emotional eating. Because, for example, this past Shabbos, I had amazing guests and we had so much fun. However, 
the amount of kids that were in the house jumping everywhere gave me so much anxiety. Like somebody was on the piano and I I just like looked away because I knew I would start screaming at all the kids. I, I ate so much extra food just to calm my anxiety or the conversation can be super heated and there are so many people and I'm just eating my emotions away. It's so what I liked about what you said, plating your food so you don't have the option to refill your plate because. Well, I always do give, I always ask people if they want more, like I'll say. But it's not on the table. It's not on the table. And I'm not doing to restrict my guests. It's just kind of, this is how I'm serving right now instead of, you know, and I do serve meals also. We had a barbecue the other night where I, you know, it was buffet, but. You have to get up to get your food. You have have to to get up. And there was also, you know, it was, there was a lot of fruits and vegetables on that table. You know, there was just a lot of good, clean food as well. Yeah. So go ahead. Well, you have to be very confident in your hosting, in your food and in, in your eating to be able to like, say, you know, when you come to my house, this is how you roll. (laughs) You have to have guts to do that, especially if you're used to putting on a big show and having loads of food. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about emotional eating. So, yes. you know, here's a case, like you said, you, you went to therapy. Um, it's very hard. Emotional eating is sometimes very deep rooted. Um, and people do best when they can speak to a professional who can help them deal with that emotional eating because emotional eating, it, it's not necessarily about the food. It's about trying to fill a void. It's trying to, instead of you dealing with your anxiety, you're eating. Um, So it's somebody needs the tools that they can go ahead and not turn to food in times of emotional distress, in terms of boredom. Um, You know, there are things that people can do. They can try and distract themselves. Um, They can, um, I mean, if it's not, a Shabbos and a house full of things, you can kind of just, even I guess on Shabbos, if you're entertaining, you can go into your bedroom for a minute and take some deep breaths and say, this is fine. Everything will be fine. And then come back to the table and try and be a little bit more, you know, mindful. Okay. I'm not going to necessarily turn to food, but that's a long you know, road that um, people have to try and, and deal with. Um, and not at night, you know, don't starve yourself. That's something like you were saying, you ate a salad before you went to somebody's house. If you are mentally prepared, you have, again, your sleep, you're hydrated, maybe you're exercising during the week, you will better be able to cope with those moments. And that's why I went into holistic nutrition, because we look at the whole body. Okay. We don't just say, you know, this is what you need to eat every day. I want to know, Francisca, you know, what's your daily life like? Do you have a lot of stress? You know, are you getting time to exercise? Are you, you know, do you have a good community support around you? Um, Because all of those things factor into our food choices in the end. And, um, you know, we just want healthy people, you know, there, you know, it's not necessarily about size, although we can talk about that, but, um, we just want people to live better, healthier lives. And uh, there's a lot that goes into it. It's hard. It's hard work, (laughs) even though it should be easy. (laughs) So let me address 
some of the things you said. So I'm just thinking practically. I'm not thinking like emotional issues when I'm when I was analyzing why I was eating this fast Shabbos. And the options at my Shabbos table were relatively healthy. It was just the fact that I kept chewing and needing to chew something. It's And I have pretty much set myself up to have that support with the exercise and the healthy food and the options and being in control of what's around me and what's at my Shabbos table. But when you have little kids and they're designed to when they make their noise to just irritate every piece of you, like all my tools just go out the window because they're little kids who need diaper changes. Every Shabbos day, I change at least two poop diapers for the same baby. It's always during the Shabbos meal. So maybe it's a good thing for me as a reminder to stop eating. But there's this constant like, Kvetching. And if it's not my kids, it's our guest kids. And and the idea, the way it's designed, at least in my community right now, you invite a family with kids the age of your kids, and you sit around, at least in the summer months, and burn as many hours at wh- whoever's house you're in until you move to the Shalashudas activity with all your kids because nobody's napping and we're all in this together. And whoever house, it is, it's the turn to get demolished that day. So you just sit in this torture cave, but it's fun because you're doing it with other parents and you're just, so the food is. It's an activity. It is an activity. Um, So do we move everyone to the couch after an hour and a half? Yes. So uh, that's what I was just going to suggest. At a certain point, you know, you get up, you, you, everybody's had their maybe one dessert and some fruit, and then the table gets cleared and I refer. We come out with more water, more drinks, you know, like, you know, maybe those seltzers, um, maybe I'll bring the fruit plate back out. Maybe I will open a bag of popcorn, you know, which is something people can munch on. And it's, you know, the amount you can eat is pretty filling, Um, you know, so you kind of take away that option of sitting there for four hours with all the food in front of you. And, you know, you can, you can put out some cut up vegetables, you know, and maybe some hummus or you put out almonds or olives or, you know, something just to change the dynamic. And um, I don't, I'm not a parenting coach, so I can't address, (laughs) you know, how to, but again, I want everybody out there to know, you know, I went through this, those years are very hard and they're very stressful. And that's why, as moms, um, I know this term gets thrown out a lot, self-care. We need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves because if our cup is not full, we cannot give to our children. We cannot give to our husbands. We cannot give to our community. And it does, it does get easier from that purely physical standpoint as the kids get older. Um, you know, it, it's, you will get your nap on Shabbos. At some point, I promise you, you will get to get to nap on Shabbos again, and then at some point, your kids will start napping on Shabbos too. Like, at, you know, not as babies, but as they get older, they're like, "This is great." <laughs> but um, these are very stressful years, and the best advice I can give someone is make sure you take that time for yourself. Try and get some time alone in the house if you can get your husband or if you're fortunate to have your parents or a sister around to get the kids out because otherwise you're never alone in your own home. And it's very important that you just have that peace in your own environment. 
On Shabbos? Uh, anytime. Not on Shabbos. Oh. If Shabbos is not possible, I'm just saying, you know, yeah, great. Oh, in general. In general. Just try and be alone in your house um, just to, to regroup and refresh. And even, you know, whether you're cleaning or you're just sitting reading or whatever it is, it's important to have that peace and quiet um, in your own home. So it's grabbing those little moments Um you know, going for a walk with a friend or going out to dinner with a friend, like just making sure a date night with your husband, you know, um, we, those years go so quickly and you just like, it's a whirlwind. So, you know, it's, it's important to realize, yes, this is tough. You're raising human beings and you want to raise good human beings. And that requires a lot of time and energy and discipline. And um, you can't do that if you yourself are not in a good place. There's a major topic I wanted to address the second one, which is a big issue. And I'm curious, as a nutritional consultant, are disordered eating and eating disorders, how are they different in the Orthodox Jewish community versus the community at large. And I know eating is usually the symptom, not the issue itself. What are some of the general statements that that explain the issues around disordered and eating disorders for Jewish Orthodox women? So unfortunately, just like in the rest of the world right now, um, there's been a tremendous spike in eating disorders among um, from girls and some boys too as well. Um, there have been studies that show that in the Jewish communities, there is a 50% chance higher that a girl will experience an eating disorder versus the regular population. Um, I'm not sure if that number is truly legitimate, but um, eating disorders is a huge problem in the community right now. Why? Why? So like you said, eating disorders are not about food. They're about control. So when somebody feels out of control, the one thing they can do is determine what food goes into their body or whether they're exercising a lot. When you see a young woman who is in the Jewish community, who is being prepped for shidduchim and marriage, and there's this emphasis on in society on, you know, thin is better. Um, there's a lot of pressure there. And a lot of pressure is also unfortunately coming from the moms or the grandmothers. So I just want to advocate that any moms out there, be very careful how you speak about food in front of your kids. Like, you know, don't say, oh my God, I look fat in this, or, oh, I have to weigh myself or I can't eat that because, you know, I'm going to gain weight. We need to really be so careful about the language we use around our children about how we relate to food. Um, so you have this shidduch system, which emphasizes thin girls. Um, and also I'd ask the mothers of boys to please, you know, explain to their sons that a thin girl is not what they should be pursuing. They should be pursuing a girl who has, you know, good meadows and will be a good wife and a good mother because she might starve herself into a size zero or two for the wedding. But you know what? After she has a lot of kids, it's going to be very hard for her to maintain that weight unless she's been genetically blessed, um, you know, to do that. So 
it, it's the wrong thing to be focused on. The other thing that has been brought up is that these young girls who are put into the shidduch environment, a lot of them are not ready, but they don't necessarily have the choice to say, I'm not ready to get married. I'm, I'm nervous about having sex. I don't want to enter into a physical relationship. I haven't been around a lot of boys all my life. Um, and so instead of expressing these feelings and talking about them with their parents, with their mashpia, whoever is in the community, one of the things that they can do in their toolbox is restrict their eating. And what that does, uh, one of the things about anorexia is they don't get their period. So now they can't even get pregnant. So it could be a subconscious decision, but by restricting their food, they're taking some control back over their lives. Um, you know, there's also social media has a, you know, has a big impact on, you know, what we think is, you know, the perfect body, like you were saying before, you know, these people who are putting things out there. Um, and it's definitely having an effect on our community. I see it all the time. So let's say a mother's listening to this and she wants to get her daughter married, but her daughter seems to not be ready and she doesn't want to cause eating control issues. Would you recommend just waiting a little bit longer? I would recommend having the conversation. I'm talking about very young girls. I'm talking about the girls who come back from seminary. They're like 19 years old. And I got married when I was 19. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do um, that. This is on the agenda. Some people are ready. Some people want to get married. This is the life they want to start. Um, others are very nervous about it. So I would just say, have the conversation with your daughter. You know, just just make sure that she is ready to enter into this phase because it does get very intense. There's a lot of scrutiny. There's there can be rejection. You know, it's it's hard to navigate. So, you know, have the conversation with your daughter. I'm not saying all girls who don't want to start dating are going to end up with eating disorders. Um, it's more the other, you know, way around that it could be, it could be. I don't know that they've studied this necessarily, that these are the way some of the girls are taking back control of their lives. There are other things. There's, you know, also peer pressure, you know, in high school or, you know, or they come back from seminary and they put on weight, which is also very normal, you know, that how how can we help them have a healthy attitude towards food and not use it as something to control this very, could be scary phase in their lives. They've been in school since they were three. They're back from seminary. Maybe they're going to college. Maybe they're not. It's, it's a scary time for some. Well, growing up in general. Growing up in general. So how do we help these young women and men you know, navigate the next phase of this their lives in a very healthy manner or the most healthy manner that we can. So, yeah, it's a combination of a lot of different things that may be contributing. It's not about the food. It is a mental way to take back control. The men don't get a lot of attention when it comes to this. It's more of a feminine problem. And it's even looked up upon, it's like, oh, you're so lucky you're struggling with not eating. You know, I wish I could have that self-control, which is something people say super unhealthy. But the men who don't have that acknowledgement or even they would probably feel a lot more shame to share something like that. 
where do they feel like they need to take control? So the men, the issues are some of them I've heard fitting into those very skinny suit pants. They want to look a certain way. Um, so they are engaging in disordered eating behavior in order to do that. Um, with the men, you also see things more um, on the orthorexic scale. So orthorexia is a um, obsession with healthy eating and exercise. So what you might see on the male side is a lot of exercising, a lot of working out, weight training, you know, protein shakes, you know, chicken breast and broccoli for dinner, you know, kind of like more of this obsession with the, on the orthorexic side, as opposed to the, you know, starvation or binge eating disorder or purging that you might see on the female side. Well, I'm happy you brought up orthorexia. One of your last episodes was just on that. How do you know when you've crossed the line from a healthy, balanced lifestyle to orthorexia, which is extreme healthy? So it's a slippery slope. You know, people start saying, um, oh, I'm going to cut out gluten or I'm going to cut out dairy. And sometimes it's for a good reason. I mean, sometimes, you know, physically, I personally don't feel good after I eat gluten. So I do, but it becomes, you know, only going to eat organic. Like they start the things they're not going to eat starts to get bigger and bigger. And then it starts to impact their social lives. They won't go out to eat dinner with their friends. They won't eat food that's prepared by other people because they don't know what oil they use. So it's like any kind of eating disorder, orthorexia, I don't believe is considered a, a real eating disorder. It's considered disordered eating. Um, once it starts to impact their day-to-day -day life, and they can't function because they need to go exercise, so they can't meet their friends, that's when it crosses over the line. You know, everybody wants to eat healthy, but you can eat a piece of cake every once in a while. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, if that's what you want, eat your piece of cake. But somebody who's in that mindset is they're never going to eat that piece of cake. And that's when it really becomes a problem. And it's a slippery slope the other way. If it's okay to have a piece of cake one time and just so happens to be that you have an ufruf and then a wedding and then a week of shava brachos that, of your sibling. I, I have a lot of those where it's just a once in a while, except it happens to occur every other day. Right, right. So that's when there has to be some mindfulness. Um, you know, again, if you're celebrating a family simcha, you don't want to be there thinking about, should I eat that piece of cake or should I not eat that piece of cake? So, you know, it goes back to the 80-20 rule. You know, if you can keep a healthy diet 80% of the time, that other 20% really isn't going to matter very much. So if you're at the shower breakfast, you know, eat lots of vegetables, eat the chicken, eat the steak. And then if you want to have the brownie that they give you for dessert, that's, you're going to be okay. It's really taking that balanced approach um, as opposed to like an all or nothing kind of, uh, cause that, that never works. You know, once, once people start restricting and saying, I can't eat that, that's all they're going to want to eat. Okay. So we're going to wrap up with this. Do you have any closing remarks or thoughts for our listeners? I just want to leave everybody with one, one thought, um, that is, Jewish women from, from women and men, if they're men who are <laughs> listening to this as well, 
um, that Maimonides wrote 800 years ago in um, Hilchas Deus. He wrote, since maintaining a healthy and sound body is among the ways of Hashem, for one cannot understand or have any knowledge of the creator if he is ill. Therefore, he must avoid that which harms the body and accustom himself to that which is helpful and helps the body become stronger. We are here in these bodies to serve Hashem. And it's our job to take care of these bodies the best way that we can. And that means engaging in healthy behaviors to do so. So it means eating well, sleeping well, hydrating, not smoking, not overdoing alcohol. You know, all of these things, we have to remember that it's not just about looking a certain way. It is about what is our purpose here? Why did Hashem put us here? Why were we created? And it was to serve Hashem. And if we're not healthy mind and body and soul, we cannot do the job that we were assigned. So just want to leave everybody with that thought. <laughs> that that's, that's really part of what we're trying to disseminate here and talk to people about. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing it back full circle with a source. Thank you so much, Jill, for coming on. How can people listen to more of your wisdom? And where can people find you? Thank you. So um, you can, of course, find us on jewishcoffeehouse.com. We also have a website, letmypeopleeat.com, which all the episodes are there. We have a lot of good resources. I also want to remind everybody that podcasts um, are meant to be listened to, like you would listen to the radio while you are doing other things. It is not like Netflix. A lot of people say, I don't have time to sit down and listen. I'm Tell them, no, you don't need to sit and listen. You can listen while you're washing the dishes, while you're putting on your makeup, while you're driving your kids to carpool, while you're taking a walk. Um, so it's meant to be an ancillary activity. Um, so, you know, don't feel like you need to devote specific times listening to podcasts. I happen to listen to mine in the morning when I'm getting dressed and putting on my makeup and doing my hair. That's when I listen to my podcast. So, and, and that's a daily thing for me now. Um, I love podcasts. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir and I'm hoping that people are listening right now are also occupied in other healthy tasks of their lives. Thank you, Jill, so much for coming onto the show. And thank you for sticking around until the end. Next week, well, I'm not sure exactly what's coming next week, but we have a military therapist coming on. We have a physical therapist coming on talking about trauma. And we have a few Jewish concerning topics coming up, including a Me Too episode, a Shatran panel, a singles episode, and so much more. I just want to remind you that this podcast is absolutely free and there are a few ways you can help out. Number one, you can tell a friend. Number two, you can share my services with anyone looking for a podcast coach or a business coach. I help creatives make money. I help podcasters make money and I help people launch podcasts. So see you next week and thank you so, so much for coming back. You are the greatest. Thank you for all your kind messages, generous referrals, and words of support and love. Stay safe and click on the subscribe button to make sure you get a notification the next time an episode is out. Have a great week. <laughs>